Well, good morning. morning. It's great to be with you this morning. For those of you that have known me or have been coming for a while, maybe you've you've heard or remember that uh, part of my seminary journey was I had to do this this nine month chaplaincy, and you got you have some choice in that. And so I I ended up picking a long term care facility. And uh, I want to tell you this morning about this man who was one of my favorites, uh, and we're going to call him Ernest. It's not his actual name, but for our purposes today, we're going to call him Ernest. Now, Ernest was one of my favorite. Now, he had advanced stages of dementia. And for anybody, I, I know if, if you either know somebody really close to you that is experiencing this kind of thing, or you know of other people with people in their lives, it, it's, it's so pervasive that we all seem to share the heartbreak that goes along with that. When someone can't remember you know, n- not, not even necessarily where they are, but also like who they are or who other people are. It's always a very heartbreaking situation. And yet in, in the midst of all of that, there are these amazing moments of hope. And I don't know if you've experienced that. I hope that you do someday if you haven't, but there are joyful moments. And Ernest, I had a great time with him, but My first observation was, this is a guy who really knows how to take a nap, okay? Because Ernest would be like, out, okay? And I'd be kind of saying, well, maybe should I I try to wake him up? Should I talk to him, Ernest? Uh, And then the music therapist would show up, okay? Now the music therapist rolls in and starts playing songs, singing songs, no reaction from Ernest. You know, he's, he's out as he's ever been. But there were two songs that were Ernest's favorite songs. And it did not matter how asleep Ernest was. When those songs started being played and sung, he instantly woke up and started singing along. Every every word. And, And the first song was Jesus Loves Me. Jesus Loves Me. Didn't matter. Ernest could be out, looks comatose. Jesus Loves Me starts up and Ernest is awake and singing every single word. And so as the time came nearer and he was slowly fading away, his family came from all over different parts of the country. He had lots of, lots of children. And then when he eventually did pass away, we had a little bedside service and it was a very sweet time. And we got to share stories, uh, just our recent stories of what we experienced, um, caring for Ernest, but also hearing about his life. And it was, it was an amazing time. And so, uh, then the music therapist busts in with the guitar, almost, you know, on cue comes out from the shadows and starts playing Jesus loves me. And, and so through, through tears and smiles, there was this sweet time with the family as we, we sang that song and we got done and, and his son is standing right next to me and he, he leans over to me and says, well, what's the other favorite song? And I said, oh yeah, well, it's a song called show me the way to go home. And instantly, uh, the son says to all the other siblings, guys, this is dad's other favorite song. We got to have this song at his funeral. Okay. So c- can we sing it? You know, without missing a beat, the music therapist strikes it up. Okay. Show me the way to go home. Uh, so far, so good. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. A little weird, but okay. 
I had a little drink about an hour ago and it went right to my head. Okay, full stop. What is this song? What is this song? And the son looks at me and says, I thought this was some kind of Christian song. And I say, and the music therapist jumps in and says, no, this is a drinking song. <laughs> and the son, looking very confused, says to me, my dad was a Gideon his whole life. He placed Bibles in hotel rooms for all the time I knew him. He's like, he never had a drink in his life. And I was like, well, okay, that may be, but he loved this song, <laughs> loved it. And so even though Ernest may not have really understood what he was singing, and even though the, the son was surprised by the lyrics, I don't know, by the way, if they ended up having it at the funeral, I would have. But point is that even in the midst of all of that, Ernest not only regularly sang, I would say declared and proclaimed two very deep truths through those two songs, at least parts of those two songs. And we're going to talk about those two things today. It's in John chapter 14. But before we dive in, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing your church together. Lord, we don't believe it's by coincidence or accident that you've called these people together in this moment. And so we give this time to you and we ask that you have your way, that it be your word, not my words, but your word, Lord, because we know your word has the power to change everything. And so we ask that you do your mighty work. We wait with great expectation to see the amazing things that you will do right here amongst us. Lord, would you bring the dead to life right here and right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of you that have been on this journey through the Gospel of John, uh, you might be wondering, hey, well, how, how did we end last week with John chapter 12? And somehow we're now talking about John chapter 14. I assure you, we will go back and cover John chapter 13. Um, but we're going to do that as we're leading up to Easter. And so we're just, we're not skipping it. We're just putting it on pause for a moment. But in order for us to understand a little bit of the context of what we're talking about today in John chapter 14, there are just a couple of verses that we need to grab from uh, chapter 13. Because remember, this gospel has been written in such a way that the first large chunk of it, all the way into chapter 12, was written about a three-year period of time. But then there's a shift, and we kind of like zoom in, you might say, and we zoom into the last week of Jesus' life, starting in part of John 12 and continuing for the rest. And so now we're talking about a very small group of people. Jesus' public ministry is over. It's a very small group of people. He's primarily interacting with only the disciples and he's teaching them and he's preparing them for what is to come. Because as we've seen all along, the disciples, they can't quite understand what is happening, where this is all going. Jesus has said this over and over again, over again, what is on the horizon for him, but not so much for them. But then he starts saying some very troubling things that get their attention. Take a look in John chapter 13. This is verse 33. My children, Jesus is speaking, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, 
And just as I told the Jewish people, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now that's a very troubling statement, especially for a group of, small group of people who have given up everything. They've given up everything to follow this Jesus and they've been with him basically 24 seven for three years. And they have ideas about how they think everything's gonna happen. They have expectations. They heard all the same prophecies about this one day coming Messiah. And they're pretty sure that Jesus is that Messiah, but how Jesus is going about being that Messiah is totally different than what they expected. But they've still stuck with him. They've still been with him. And now, when it gets to this point, he turns around and says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving and where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, can you imagine in your life, that's, that's a very troubling statement. What would your reaction be to that? Jesus just says, I'm out. Yeah, of course their hearts are troubled. And Simon Peter, his reaction, he just sort of barrels right into it in verse 36 in, in uh, chapter 13. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you? Will you really lay down your life for me? Because very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, you know, you, God bless Peter. He's always jumping in. He's all, he got a lot of passion. Sometimes I think Peter, well, he kind of reminds me of myself where sometimes the mouth is moving faster than the brain. Uh, we say maybe something before we're thinking it through. But in Peter's case, he doesn't really understand what is coming at him. He doesn't understand what these disciples are going to be up against. Jesus knows that. Jesus can see that. But they do not understand the trouble that they are going to be in. They're just focused on the trouble of, well, wait a minute. We've been with this guy. Now he's saying he's leaving. That's troubling enough. But Jesus knows that they will need much more comfort than what they think they need. It's a bigger problem than just him leaving. It's what will actually happen to them as a result of continuing to follow him and to trust him and to be the disciples that he's called them to be. All of them meet a rather unfortunate conclusion to their lives. Um, other than Judas, who betrayed Jesus and then later killed himself, all of the other disciples, with the exception of John, were brutally hunted down, persecuted, and martyred for their faith. John, they tried to kill John, but somehow he didn't end up dying, and they exiled him on the isle or the island of Patmos, where he wrote this gospel. And so Jesus knows what awaits the disciples. He knows that the world will reject them. He knows that they will be persecuted. And so he knows deeply that they need to be comforted. Whether they know or understand why at that particular point, they need comfort. They have very troubled hearts. Don't we have troubled hearts? Don't we live in a broken world full of all kinds of destruction, division, and a big giant mess? There's a mess around every corner. We all face trouble. And even when we think, oh, somehow we're avoiding it, we can't avoid it. It comes and finds us. It tracks us down. Cancer comes knocking at the door. 
COVID takes a life of someone close to you. Anxiety bubbles up inside and to the point sometimes where we can't even do anything because we're so paralyzed in our own anxiety that we can't even figure out how to move forward. There are often times in our lives, I don't know what you're facing, but there are times where our hope dwindles. It dwindles and our optimism is crushed. And so just like the disciples, our hearts are troubled. And Jesus comes to us right now in these moments and he gives us the same comforting words that he gave to these disciples. And so we're in John chapter 14. We're looking at verses one to six. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Okay, so right away we see Jesus tackling this, this issue of troubled hearts. He knows that the disciples have troubled hearts. He knows that we have troubled hearts. Matter of fact, Jesus himself had a troubled heart. If anybody remembers from last week when we were in uh, chapter 12, Jesus said, I am deeply troubled. He knows what it's like for us to feel like there's no hope. He knows what it's like for us to not want the future that seems to be laid out before us. He knows what it's like when trouble comes knocking at the door, and it always does. So I don't know what your situation is right now, but if you're not in a time of trouble already, rest assured it's coming. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, that pesky Grinch can never stop Christmas from coming. We can never really stop trouble from coming. It finds us. It comes after us. And that's what we see in verse one, when he says, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. But if that's all we get, that's it. If that's just a command, you know, have you ever had somebody when you go and you say, well, <laughs> I'm really feeling down and they just say, get over it. How's that work? Well, I'd like to get over it very much. Thank you. But I can't seem to get over it. And so if that's all we had, don't let your hearts be troubled. We have much to be pitied. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there because much like he knows whatever our situation is, much like he knows the trouble that we face, he is providing comfort and assurance that that, whatever it is, for them and for us, that is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. And so when we turn to Jesus and we trust him, and we put our hope and our faith in him and believe in him. Remember, that's John's gospel over and over again. Believe, believe. He says it in verse one right there. You believe in God? That's awesome. Also believe in me. Believe in me. Because the reality is whatever trouble, and I'm not minimizing trouble in any way, but trouble is temporary. The promise of Jesus is permanent. Trouble 
is temporary. The promise of Jesus is permanent. And so what does he promise? If the promise is to provide comfort and assurance to us, then well, what does he promise? Well, look at verse two. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Now that might not sound like much because maybe we've heard that. Maybe we've heard these verses so many times that we just kind of, you know, oh yeah, I've, I've heard all that before. But have you ever thought about what that really means? Because that metaphor, this idea of the father's house having many rooms might not sound too terribly familiar to us, at least in the way that they would have understood it. Because they would have understood that as, hey, when the father has children, and those children grow up and get married, well, they don't usually go live somewhere else. They live in the father's house. And how do they do that? They build a room on. They add another room on to the father's house. And so if the father has a lot of children, well, then a lot of get, uh, rooms get added. But that's what this metaphor means. When Jesus says that I'm going to the father's house and there's a place for you at the father's house, that means, hey, the father's house is not going to run out of room. You're not going to go to the father's house and be told, oh, hey, look, you got here too late and it's all full up. No vacancy. Uh, sorry. No, there's a place for you and for me in the father's house. That's an amazing, that's a stunning promise that Jesus gives us to comfort us in the face of whatever we might be up against. There's a place for you and for me. But how do we get there? How do we get there? Where is it? I mean, this place that Jesus is talking about sounds pretty good, sounds like good news, but if I don't know how to get there and I don't know where it is, well then what hope do I truly have? That's naturally the disciples question. And isn't that our question too? Sounds great, but, but what does it really mean? And when we start to fall into despair over not knowing, then we end up completely lost. And if there's one thing that we all at some level know to be true about the human experience is that we have an unbelievable ability to get lost. We get lost all the time. We get distracted. There's all kinds of things we can choose to put our attention toward. There's all kinds of self-destructive things that we can get involved in. There's all kinds of things that we can put our hope in and believe that we can work our way out of trouble if just this, if only I could make enough money, if only I had enough power, if only I could control this particular situation, if only I got the right medication, you know, whatever it might be, when we think that the be-all and end-all hope is in anything other than Jesus, then we are bound for failure. We are, in effect, lost very lost. We're wandering around in the dark, not knowing where we're going. And so it can be overwhelming. We can feel very lost. But here is the unique part about the Christian faith that I want to tell you as a means of comforting and assuring you that there is hope. There is a plan. It doesn't come from within you. It comes from outside of you and it comes to you. Look at uh, verse three. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Every other religion is all about 
you getting a map, you getting a system, you getting a series of rules and regulations, and then you being put in charge of your own adventure, trying to find your way to God. And even worse, many world religions are like, okay, well, if you do find your way to God, the best you can hope for is to be kind of returned to this ambiguous life force type of thing where you're not even aware of your own person. And yet we have in the person of Jesus a promise that he's coming to get not just a general sense of some folks, but you. He's coming for you to take you to the Father's house. We don't have to, we got to stop thinking about this in terms of where it is. And we have to start focusing more on who is going to get us there. Who will get us there? Well, Jesus, this is his promise. He's coming for us. And we think, well, that sounds great. I mean, are you talking about like way down the line? Are you talking about at, at the end of, uh, of everything? Remember we said last week, heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word, Jesus, will never pass away. Are we talking about the end of the world, the end of all things, all that? Do I have to wait for that? What about now? I've got, I have problems now. No, that promise is not just for later. That promise is realized and recognized and should comfort us right now because we live a new life in Christ when we turn to him and trust him. We're already on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. He took our sin upon himself where it was nailed to the cross and separated from us as far as the east is from the west. He put our sin to death. He was then raised for new life that he invites you and I into. That new life is in the Father's house. It's in the Father's house. Focus on who will get us there. And that's why Jesus says at the end of verse four, hey, you know the way. You know the way. You know the way to the place where I'm going. But oftentimes, it doesn't feel that way. And obviously, in this particular case, it didn't feel that way to the disciples who heard that promise. Because they're just as confused as you and I maybe sometimes are. And so, I, you know, I really love Thomas. Thomas, I think, gets a bad rap most of the time. But this, this poor guy, he's the guy that asks the questions that everybody in the group is having and no one is saying them out loud. And so uh, when we look and think about, well, what is Thomas? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way. We have no idea. We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going and we don't know the way to get there. Do you ever feel like that sometimes in your life? Again, that's that feeling of lost, of wandering around in the dark trying to find your way. But we get into this temptation where we start to focus so much on this being about a place, a place in the Father's house, that we start to lose track of what the real essence, the real importance of this comfort and assurance that Jesus is giving us. We start to focus too much on the place. We sing songs about this. The King James Bible actually translated the word for dwelling place or home as mansion. That's caused all kinds of problems because now we have people talking about, well, what kind of mansion are you gonna have? And what kind of... We miss the point when we're talking about that. 
The, the point is that we have, yes, we have a place in the Father's house, but why? Why do we have a place in the Father's house? How do we have a place in the Father's house? And so the promise is not actually primarily about a place, a physical place, although that's part of it. That's not the primary part of the promise. The promise is not primarily about the place. It's about a person. It's about the fact that our place is in the Father's house. That's significant. Jesus has told his disciples over and over again, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does that mean? It means that God himself has come in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so if we want to know how to find the Father, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And so when we get that twisted up and we start making it too much about the place, then we start to fade away from recognizing that the strength of that promise comes in the person, not just the place. And I want to take you back to the very beginning of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis. And God created a place for human beings to live. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, lived there. And they walked with God. And they met God face to face. They were in the garden that God had created because God desired that kind of relationship, that kind of intimate, immediate relationship with his creation. And they had it. And they had a place to belong. But when they decided that they knew better, and they turned their back on God, and they said, hey, I know God said this, but we're going to do it our way instead. Then one of the consequences of that that has led to all the brokenness and sin that we continue to observe in our world today, one of the consequences of that was that those two people, Adam and Eve, became homeless. They got taken out of the home that God had created for them. They got put outside of the garden. They were removed from the place where they belonged because they no longer could belong there. And so they were put outside of the garden, homeless. And so sometimes, maybe some of you are struggling with this, but sometimes we deal with physical homelessness as well. It's a huge problem. We tend not to really talk about it or address it, but yeah, there's a physical problem with homelessness, but there's also a spiritual problem with, with homelessness too. Where are you living? Where is your true home? When my wife and I got married, we built this new house. It's in Woodbury. And uh, my wife regularly tries to help me, uh, let's say, be more grateful. Uh, so she comes with all kinds of ways that we can do this. And so after we moved in this house together, after we got married, um, she, she made us go around from, from room to room. And she wanted us to say what we're grateful for, uh, what we're thankful for in each room of the house. Okay. These are not things I do well. Okay. So I'm like, oh, okay. And she's looking at me like, can't you come up with anything? And she said, well, what's your favorite part? What's your favorite part of this room? What's your favorite part of this room? What's your favorite part of that? I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have any good answers. And so as we were going to work the next day, you know, she went one way, I went the other way. And she basically said to me, well, you better come up with something that's your favorite part about this house. 
And I left this little post-it note uh, on the stairway that we still have framed that just said, my favorite part of the house is that you live here. That's a winner. But that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about here. It's not the physical place that drives us to the comfort and the assurance. It's knowing that we have a way through Jesus to be restored in that relationship that God wanted for us and created for us. And even though sin prevents us from being able to interact and and walk with God and be with him in an immediate way face to face, Jesus himself has come to fix it. And one of the core problems we deal with as human beings is we need a place to belong. We need a place to belong. And so in your life right now, where do you find your true home? Where do you find your sense of belonging? Is it in your relationship with Jesus or is it your relationship with something or, or someone else? Because this is a problem, this fracture between God and his creation is not something that we can ever earn enough money to overcome. It's not something that we can do any other way other than through the relationship that we can have and are invited into, into this new life with Jesus. The beginning of the Bible, like I said, the people are homeless as a consequence of sin. But what about at the end of the Bible? The end of the Bible, you know, if we were to turn to the end of the Bible and and find the book of Revelation and it was just a big page with a question mark on it, well, that would be really troubling, wouldn't it? We would say, well, where is this all going? And if we read the book of Revelation and it told us like, well, we're pretty sure it works out, but we're not quite sure. Um, Well, uh, we're hoping for the best. Those are not the promises that we find in the book of Revelation. We actually find this. All right, Revelation, this is just a few verses in chapter 21. Listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now here's where you need to tune in. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That you and I have in faith right now. Yes, it's something that we will have in sight and feeling and everything else when Christ returns. But for right now, you and I are living in the same rupture of time that the disciples were. Jesus has already come, but he has not come back again. And yet we are comforted and given assurance by the power of his Holy Spirit, who has already made his dwelling place in us, in us. We're already in the Father's house. If you believe and you trust and you follow Jesus, you already have a place in the Father's house. You already have a relationship with the Father that's not possible any other way than through Jesus, which is what Jesus finally just blurts out. 
Because Thomas, again, speaking on behalf of more than just himself, is saying, um, we don't know where you're going. How in the world could we know the way to get there? Look at verse six. Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if we know Jesus, we know the way to go home. We know the way to go home, to our true home. When we trust him, when we believe in him, when we live our lives in the freedom that he's given us from sin, when we turn to the cross and we are in awe of the love and mercy and the sacrifice that God was willing to make to give us the home with him that he always wanted us to have. That is an amazingly comforting thing. And so if you're in Jesus and Jesus dwells in you by the power of his spirit, then you're already at home. You're already home. Jesus is the only one, the only one with the authority and also the ability to make the promise and accomplish it. He not only makes the promise, but he has the ability to accomplish it. That's an amazing thing. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way to the Father's house. And he's made a way where there was no way before. Instead of hopelessly lost, we are wonderfully found by a God who created us and loves us and invites us into his house. Do you know the way? That was actually what they called the early church. It wasn't called church. Church is actually based on a Greek word that doesn't mean anything other than a gathering of people. Big deal. Ecclesia. It could be a gathering for any reason. And so the first Christians were called the way. Why? Well, because they knew the way to go home. They knew the way to go to their true home. And they did over and over and over again. What about you? Do you know the only true way to go home? Or is your life full of competing things, distractions, things that you turn to instead of turning to Jesus? Instead of going home to where you truly belong, are you trying to find belonging somewhere else or in something else? So we could ask it this way, who or what do you trust in times of trouble? Knowing that trouble is coming, who do you trust? What do you trust? Where do you turn? And I don't know about you, but in this particular day and age in which we're living, there seem to be a lot of people that have all the answers, right? They got it all figured out. They're ready to have a fist fight over it at a moment's notice. There's no reason, there's no talking, there's just... This is the way it is. And so I want you to ask yourself, don't be in a hurry to answer this either, but what is the real source of your confidence? What is the real source of your courage and, and where do your convictions come from? Is it from the way? Or is it something else? 
Well, even though Ernest might have been confused about the song that he was singing, he might not have realized that it was a, a drinking song, but he knew those words, show me the way to go home. And guess what? Ernest knew the way home. His whole life had been dedicated to showing other people the way to go home. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You and I, you and I to him belong because we're weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me and he will stay close beside us all the way, no matter what we face. Lord, you have bled and died for me. And so I will live my life only for thee. Yes, Jesus loves me. And yes, Jesus loves you. He is the way to go home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you that you have not left us orphaned and wandering around in the dark, but instead have put us into your glorious light through the person of Jesus. Lord, if there are hearts here today that are crying out for you, I thank you, Lord, because I know that you will meet us right where we are, that you've prepared a place for us where we truly and finally and completely belong. And Lord, we thank you that that place leads to being in relationship with you. Like we, we can't be any other way than through your son. Lord, we know that through Jesus, you have conquered everything that we face, including death itself. You've put death to death. And even though we can't wrap our minds around that, Lord, we trust you and we believe in you. And we want nothing more than to follow you more closely than ever before. We thank you and we praise you. Yes, for preparing a place for us, but we thank you and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.